Good morning. Welcome to worship at First United Methodist Church in Martinsville, Virginia. It is a delight to see each one of you here today on this sunny summer day. It's a beautiful day and it is wonderful to gather together in worship. I want to thank Becky Smith for playing for us today. Um, she told me that she was, the last service she played for was the Sunday right before the pandemic caused us to have to lock down. So we are glad you are back and glad we're in a new place. Will you stand for our call to worship? Let us unite our hearts and our voices. Holy God, whose name is not honored where the needy are not served and the powerless are treated with contempt, may we embrace our neighbor with the same tenderness that we ourselves require so your justice may be fulfilled in love through Jesus Christ. Amen. Our opening hymn is Holy, 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 found on page 64 of your hymnals. seated. Let us pray. Oh God, we pray this day for all who have a song they cannot sing, for all who have a burden they cannot bear, for all who live in chains they cannot break, for all who wander homeless and cannot return, for those who are sick and for those who tend them for those who wait for loved ones and wait in vain, for those who live in hunger and for those who will not share their bread, for those who are misunderstood and for those who misunderstand, for those who are captives and for those who are captors, 
for those whose words of love are locked within their hearts and for those who yearn to hear those words. Have mercy upon these, O God. Have mercy upon us all. Amen. I would like to ask for the attention of the children this morning. Uh, this morning, I wanted to talk about how our words and our actions are supposed to match. So when I was little and I was growing up, in our household, my brother and I had chores that we had to do. Uh, they were not optional, um, and they were just a part of living in the house. If you were part of the family, then you had to contribute to the workload of the family. So um, we took turns setting the table, and we took turns loading the dishwasher, and we had to put our folded clothes away in our, in our drawers and closets. We had to make our beds, and well, we both got allowances, but they had nothing to do with our chores. Um, they were just, our chores were all about living as a part of a family. And so if we didn't do our chores, then we would get a lecture about, we all have to do different jobs in the household to make our household work. And you're a part of this, this home, you're a part of this family, so you have to do your jobs and we do our jobs. Um, and so one of the things I wanted to talk about today was if we just wanted those things to happen, but we didn't want to do them, that really wouldn't have worked out. If my, one of my parents said, you know, can you go clean up your room? I couldn't walk back to my room and say, I wish my room were clean. Wouldn't that be nice to have a clean room? I really would like to have a clean room. And then walk out of my room without cleaning it. Or I wish, I wish the table would be set. No, we had to actually set the table if we actually wanted to eat lunch or dinner. So in a sense, that is what Jesus is talking about in our scripture lesson this morning, that our words and our actions have to match. When we see people who are hungry, it's not enough to say, I sure wish they were fed. If we have the power to feed them, if we have the power to share our food, we should do it, not just think about it. Um, if we see somebody who needs shelter, we shouldn't just think, wow, wouldn't it be nice if they had shelter? Um, if we see a need, we have a gift to give. God has equipped us. If we see a need, God has equipped us to respond. And Jesus says that when we do respond, it is like we are doing that for him, which is a really wonderful thing. It makes us look at every single person and think of that person the way that Jesus does, which is as a person of infinite worth and preciousness. So this week, I want you to look for need in our community. And when you see it, know that God has probably given you a way to respond to it. Throughout my time in ministry, I've often found that children are the, are the best responders and have often been moved by the things that they have done. In one church I served, we made blessing bags. We made these gallon-sized bags that were full of toiletries and a $5 gift card to a, a fast food place for a meal and a bottle of water and a granola bar and literally tons of toiletries. And, and um, so we did that in September. We made about 300 of those bags and then Everybody took a few to keep with them, to keep in their cars, to distribute. Uh, and one of the children in our congregation who was six years old at the time, she went on a trip in November. It was, it was fall break. And she and her family went up to see her grandparents in Massachusetts, which was a two-day drive. And they stopped and stayed in a hotel. And Katya wanted to know about the little bottles of shampoo and, and the little soaps. And, and uh, her parents explained, well, yes, those come with the room. And she said, well, what happens when we leave? And they said, well, they throw them away and they put new ones out for the next guests. And she wanted to know if she could take them. And, 
And they said that, yes, she could, and so she did. And when they got to Massachusetts, and her grandmother said, well, what do you want to do this week? She said, well, I want to go shopping. And her grandmother said, for clothes? And she said, no, I want to go to CVS. And so they went to CVS, and Katya picked out all the things in the travel toiletry section and, and uh, the snack section and, and came home and explained to her grandparents about blessing bags. And together they made a blessing bag. And that week they looked for people in Boston to, uh, that they could give it to. And, and I just thought it was just a wonderful thing that this six-year-old girl was an evangelist for Matthew 25. Um, I read this week also about the children who are responding to the tragedy in Surfside by sending hundreds of, of letters of thanks to the first responders. So it doesn't matter uh, how old you are, everybody can respond to need. Everybody can see Jesus' face in the face of anybody who needs help. So this week I encourage you to look for those people and I encourage you to look for what is inside you that you can use to be of help, knowing that when you help others, it is like you are helping Jesus. Thank you for your attention this morning. As we prepare to receive God's word, let us pray. Gracious God, we have come in search of Christ, the author of life. Open the scriptures to us that we might see Christ truly and meet Christ face to face. Amen. Our Old Testament lesson this morning is found in the sixth chapter of Micah, beginning with the eighth verse. Has he told you, O mortal, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Will you stand for the reading of the gospel? Our gospel lesson this morning is found in the 25th chapter of Matthew, beginning with the 34th verse. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food? or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, Depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. This is the second sermon in a four-week sermon series on the music of Jim Hewitt. Jim Hewitt is a gracious and gifted pastor in the Virginia Annual Conference who retired not too long ago after 40 years of ministry. I saw on Facebook on Friday that Friday was Jim's 72nd birthday. 
During his time in active ordained ministry, Jim wrote many songs and recorded five CDs. His music tells stories and and makes theological points in a wonderfully relatable way. He now lives in Northern Virginia, and he is sought after by pastors throughout the annual conference because he is wise and generous and an incredible theologian. And who doesn't want to be mentored by someone like that? I have long wanted to share some of his music in worship, and hence this sermon series was born. This morning's Jim Hewitt song, which we will hear immediately following the sermon, is titled, In Distressing Disguise. The title comes from a story about the late Mother Teresa. A journalist was visiting her and asked her why she did what she did, caring for the dying on the streets of Calcutta. They were in an orphanage at the time, and she picked up a child who was near death and handed the child to the journalist. She told the journalist what she knew about the child and that the child would probably only live another day or two. The journalist held the child for a while and then handed the child back to her, and she placed the child back in bed with soothing words and touch. After they left the orphanage, Mother Teresa said, now you see why I do this. And the journalist said, no, I really don't. That was one of the most horrible experiences of my entire life. I will never get that child out of my mind. And Mother Teresa said, that child is Jesus in distressing disguise. Jim Hewitt told me that story, and I did some research to see if I could find the story on the internet and get more of the details. And what I found was that it wasn't a one-off, that it was something, Jesus, something Mother Teresa said and did often when she was asked by people who came to visit her why she did what she did. It's just Jesus in distressing disguise was a phrase that she used time and time and time again. An article explained that early in her life, she heard the text that is this morning's gospel lesson, a text about the people Jesus called the least of these. And she took that story deep within herself. The least of these, she decided, were just Jesus in distressing disguise. All people are infinitely precious and unconditionally loved in Jesus' eyes, but not necessarily in ours. There are all sorts of people whose needs overwhelm us, causing us to look away. Jim's song is about some of those people. There are verses about an unsheltered person, an immigrant, a person with an incurable disease, and another about a discarded newborn baby. It's just Jesus in distressing disguise, Jim sings, echoing Mother Teresa. So let's talk about our gospel lesson this morning, the one that inspired Mother Teresa to come up with this phrasing. I mean, there comes a time for summing up, and for Jesus, it was the time immediately prior to the last week of his life, the days immediately before his entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and the events that led to his death five days later. In the Gospel of Matthew... It is in the 25th chapter. Jesus tells three final stories, three parables. Our text this morning, our gospel lesson, is the third of those stories. The last words Jesus spoke to his disciples before he and they were caught up into the tumultuous events of Holy Week. And it's about the last judgment and what he ultimately wanted from them and what he wants from us. The text says that all the nations were there, and the king separates the sheep from the goats. The sheep are on the right, the goats are on the left, and he addresses the sheep, and he said, when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me naked, and you clothed me sick, and you took care of me in prison, and you visited me. 
The sheep are perplexed. They're really surprised. We don't remember doing any of those things for you. In fact, we're sure we didn't. The king says, when you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Well, then the same exchange happens with the goats, but in reverse. I was hungry and you gave me no food, thirsty and you gave me no drink, stranger, naked, sick, and in prison, and you did nothing. And the goats are as perplexed as the sheep. We don't remember anything like that. If we had known it was you, we would have acted very differently. The verdict, truly, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Now, we want to not think it's this simple. There's nothing in here about what church one attends, which creed one believes and recites, whether one has been baptized, how nice one is. As my preaching professor in seminary, Fred Craddock, once said in a sermon on this text, there's just one question. How did you respond to human need? That's it. That's the question. When everything is over and the streets have been rolled up, when all the switches have been thrown, when everything you have been doing has been done for the last time, the creator or judge will call the world to account with one question. How did you respond to human need? Well, that doesn't mean that creeds and theology don't matter. It doesn't mean that the church doesn't matter. Those matter a lot. Christianity was only a century or so, so old when it became apparent that someone needed to write down the basic beliefs. And the church, the church is the institution by which Christianity's basic beliefs are put into action in the world. But yes, the story that Jesus told is basic and fundamental about personal decisions, about what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be a Christian church. And remember that the church throughout the ages has attracted followers from throughout the world because of how it has lived into this text. Um, back in, in, in Jesus' day and afterwards in the Roman Empire, children who were unwanted were discarded uh, with impunity on, on streets or at the garbage dump. And some of them would be taken and made into slaves. Others would die of exposure. And Christians would pick up these children and adopt them into their families. Prisoners didn't get fed if no one brought them food, and Christians brought them food. Caring for the sick at great personal risk is something that Christians have done throughout history. During the Black Plague, for instance, um, also during times of war, turning church sanctuaries into hospitals. In ancient Rome and throughout the empire, wherever Christian churches were established, people were compelled, amazed, attracted to this radical love which they had never seen anywhere before. And when they inquired about why these people were behaving so abnormally, the early Christians explained that their God, unlike Roman gods who were pretty petty and selfish, that their Christian God was a God of love who created the world out of a heart full of love, a God who loved every human being regardless of who he or she was, a God who expected them to express that same unconditional love in the way that they lived. Their Lord Jesus Christ, whose name they had taken for themselves, had reflected the teachings of his people when he said one time that if you want to inherit eternal life, if you really want to live your life to the fullest here and now, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Do this and you will live, he said, and so that's what they were doing. The former editor of the Christian Century magazine, himself the pastor of a large city church in Chicago, wrote this. This is the Christian secret. God really intends to recreate the world in love. 
God wants a new world where people are honored, not used, where forgiveness is taken seriously instead of the revenge and retaliation that has characterized human history with numbing consistency, responding to violence with more violence. You threaten us, we threaten you. You bomb us, we bomb you. We call it real politic, he wrote, but it's anything but. God, God, he said, has another idea for creation. He said, I'll never forget a conversation I was in when bombs started falling on Afghanistan. A woman, a member of this congregation, a sweet and peaceful mother of five, said, I'm all for bombing Afghanistan, but let's bomb them with books and wood and bags of cement to build schools. He said, we all laughed, but it's not a bad idea when you think about it. God wants a new world, and God wants a new you. God invites us not to a new level of piety, but to a new level of love. God invites us to become a lover of people, the people God has given to us to love and those who need our love. Righteousness, according to this text, isn't about all of the wrongs that we avoid, but is about the love and compassion we share. That's what church is for, to show God's love to the world in every way we can think of. It's still a compelling vision. In the incarnation, God came to dwell among us in the person of Jesus. But that's just the half of it, Jesus says, because I am present wherever there is human need. You will see my face, the face of your Savior, in the face of everyone who needs you. So think about that, the face of Jesus Christ, in the face of those who are poor and food insecure, waiting in line for food at our food bank. The face of Jesus in an abandoned child, the hungry child, the sick child, some of whom are fed by the meals we assemble through Rise Against Hunger, in the lonely, the sick, the frightened, the face of Jesus closer than that even, in the one who needs your love today, your own child, your own grandchild, your own parent, your own spouse, your own friend. Wherever you encounter need, remember... It's just Jesus in distressing disguise. As you did it to one of the least of these members of my family, you did it to me, Jesus said. Thanks be to God. Amen. I invite you now to listen to Jim Hewitt's song in distressing disguise. Jim did not make videos, but Robert Lewis does, and he has created this video for us. Thank you, Robert. Pitched on the pavement in Lafayette Park Covered for cold and concealed by the dark Homeless soul sleeps like a careless remark Scrambles all day to survive Scrambles all day to survive Back of the pawn shop in silent alarms A dumpster enfolds a newborn in its arms Summer sun simmers the stench and the flies It's just Jesus In distressing disguise It's just Jesus In distressing disguise Oh, to the least of these human requests Wrapped in their carnal confusions Chances for changes and turns for the best Hungry for love and inclusion Least of these, least of these is Jesus In distressing disguise, in distressing disguise 
hollow of eye they wear HIV Like scarlet confessions of what people see The loneliest journey of wasting disease Leaves them behind in despair Leaves them behind in despair Immigrant refugee, green card in hand So far from the footfalls of family land Alone and exposed to the glances and lies She is Jesus In distressing disguise It's just Jesus In distressing disguise Oh of these human requests wrapped in their carnal confusions chances for changes turns for the best hungry for love and inclusion least of these least of these is Jesus in distressing disguise in distressing disguise Robert, thank you so much. This morning, Paul Geib, who has been our delegate to annual conference, is going to give us a report about this year's annual conference, which was held virtually at the end of June. Thank you for being our delegate, and thank you for sharing with us this morning, Paul. Oh, thanks, Pastor. Just amazing when I'm sitting in the back there and listening to the lectionary readings, I start thinking, why did the Spirit want to close a small church, little first church up in Maryland around the July 1st weekend? And then why was it the, the pull of grandkids so important to us that we had to be up in New Jersey last Sunday? Well, because the Spirit said, these were the lecturing weeks for this, this week, and this is what the Virginia Annual Conference deals with the mission of the United Methodist Church to make disciples of Christ for the transformation of the world. That's what, the, that's what it is, and to follow those admonitions from Mike, the prophet, and our Lord. And so I had the honor of uh, to report to you and also attend the uh, 239th annual conference of this, uh, session of this conference from June 17th to the 21st. On their various uh, meetings, there was a meetings of the services to, uh, to uh, celebrate the laities, celebrate uh, retirees, celebrate uh, the people who have passed on, and there were also the ordination and, and con consecration, a uh, commissioning of uh, our, our pastors for the, uh, for the conference. What the uh, our conference statisticians said there were 314,000 members in the conference, down slightly by about 1.8%, and with average worship attendance of last, this is last year in 2020, of 159,000 members. I assume it'll be lower this year. And, and the, we, the conference regrettably had to close nine small churches, but at the same time, the conference was opening up seven new micro churches or new satellite churches. They're all evened out, you know, with uh, over, there were 650 baptisms, I believe, in the conference, and 150, uh, 1,500 people uh, made uh, confessions of faith. Now, one th what, there is a concerning thing is there were two, 58 retirees of pastors in the conference, and there were several deaths. But the problem, the problem, for the conference of developing is that, and this is brought forth in the, you can read it in the, uh, in the different reports of, of the, of the, uh, the services. We recognize, we ordained 10 elders, recognized 
10 provisional members, which are, which are three more years they'll become elders, and 333 licensed pastors, that comes out to about only about 56 pastors, which means there's always a gap of 56 new pastors when we need when 58 retired. So there's this trend going down all the time. We're in very serious problems. There's only one way to deal with that. You have to close churches, double up on churches, or get district superintendents to, to hire more people. So we really have a real critical need, and particularly this conference needs trained elders that go through the seminary. It's very critical need. This is becoming more and more critical each year. We need more elders. Now, in the, now, we're in the Danville District, and the Danville District, not, no churches in the Danville District are closed. The big change was the, five, the two county cooperative parish of uh, Henry and Pennsylvania County. That, that has been changed now with, as you know, Granbury Churches, Granbury Church, Anderson Chapel, and three other churches. That has been changed now with different, different, different pastors, but also one of the churches probably will close. Anderson Chapel may be in serious danger of closing next year. So that's the only problem. Now, there may have been some pastors moved around in our, in our district, but, the, uh, but the, there's no, no church closures that, that happened last year in our district. But there were several contentious issues that were going on and basically rejected in the conference. One was regarded the district alignment report from the district alignment team. The, there's been a proposal to make, to reduce the districts in the, in the conference from 16 to eight districts and eliminate all the administrative positions, like Senator Fulcher's position is administrative, and turn it, give that to two people. So 16, so each, and 16 people, two people would t take over the job of 16 people that have to deal with 1, 000, over 100, uh, one, over 1,000 churches in this conference. And where these people will be, this part, and it will be is another question. And so the, uh, and then reducing the districts from 16 districts to eight, to eight super districts. That's another problem that we're concerning to a number of people. And so this plan will be voted on next year. And so people have been asking questions. They have a year to ask questions. The problem is the bishop has, has reduced the number of district superintendents from 16 to 8. So all the district superintendents now will have to double up on the number of churches they have. You can just divide 8 into 1,200, and you can find out how many, how many churches the, each district superintendent will have to, have to deal with. The other problem in the number of the members, uh, the Board of Finance and Administration proposed an increase in the budget of $3 million, a 10% uh, increase in apportionments to all the churches to pay for the, the, this plan, this IDOT plan, this district allotment team. The only number, what the number of the members said, well, the plan hasn't even been voted on yet. That will be voted on next year. But the budget, the budget we enacted would start in this, in this January. So if the plan wasn't voted on until next, next July or June, why put a budget of $3 million to pay for it a year in advance if something hasn't been? So that was, so there was a, the, there was a motion to remove $3 million to, over $1,800,000 from the budget. That, that, would, that passed. And that's going to have to wait until next year until the plan is actually voted upon and then the budget the, for 20, 2023. This plan will not even take place in 2023. And they, so, the Finance Administration wanted the, us to vote on a budget the, this year, about a year and a half before. So that was voted down overwhelmingly. And also, the Council on Finance Administration proposed that 10% increase in apportionments, and the membership pr proposed another resolution that if any, any time the Council of Finance Administration, administration would 
propose a budget increase of over — apportionment increase of over 10 percent, they'd have to come back to the membership 60 days before the annual conference so people wouldn't be blindsided as people thought they were this year. And that also passed. Another — another issue that passed was the — the Council of Finance Administration said the bishop would give the — have the uh, discretion to set the salaries for the district superintendents which some people thought, well, that could lead to some favoritism, perhaps. So then the, the, the conference voted to, overwhelmingly again, to set for all district superintendents a salary of $95,000. There was a range. So we rejected that range and went back to $95,000 for each, each uh, district superintendent, a salary for each district superintendent. And then finally, some members noted that the legal expenses of this conference was very high in relationship to other conferences of similar size. Again, that was a — was — it wasn't rejected, but the — what it is, the conference voted that over, the, uh, overwhelmingly, again, that 90, 90 days — there was going to be an advisory team to look at all these all these um, — the, the legal expenses of the conference and report back to the annual conference within 90 days of this date. So those are some of the issues there. People were worried about how can we fulfill Jesus' uh, desire and, Amen, and Micah's desire if we're going to have these problems and we cannot actually function and properly with a reduced staff and reduced number of districts, and we, our churches cannot properly function without proper support. Uh, let's see. And now we — two things, uh, if the budget cannot — the budget is always passed ahead of time, but also the the, the, the pastors take our — what they call it, fixing the apportionments, which means all the pastors are given their — not the apportionments, their appointments. The uh, Pastors on July 1st. That's all voted on this year. So, that's how, so where our pastors go, that is this year we vote on. But we never vote. We vote on the budget for next year. And so there's going, there's going to be back and forth a little bit about how to get budget. There should be a lot more clarity because the membership asked for more clarity on legal expenses, any increase in the budget. And we want to hear more, idea, more ideas and discuss more about this district alignment team because a number of us thought that this is not just not going to work. We cannot fulfill Jesus', Jesus uh, admonition if uh, we reduce the number of districts, we reduce the number of district staff, even though they're supposed to put some special people in there uh, called developers in the, dis in the district, districts, but what didn't even know where they were going to go to and where those administrative people, the two administrative people, where were they going to? We have an administrative person four blocks from here. Well, where is, that, where is it going to go in the future, in the future if, if the plan goes through? That's the kind of issues that were, that were dealt with. And so that is basically what went on. Uh, a lot of good worship, a lot of good praying. And so we're praying for next year that everything will work out as the Lord, because we know God is good all the time, and he's all the time he's good. And so... Thank you. Honor to do it. I'll be ready to do it any time. Whatever you, whatever the congregation wants. That's my report, Pastor. That's, and I ask any questions. I, all the stuff I'm talking about. A lot of stuff is on the website already. I have copies. A lot of stuff. You find almost everything on the website. Who got ordained? Where the? Who went to what church? Who retired? Who? Uh, who passed on? Things like that. And of course, the budget's on there too. So thank you. Thank you, Paul. That was a very thorough report. Uh, annual conference is very important because it really determines uh, churches' budgets, how churches are evaluated, uh, how churches will uh, be pointed in ministry. We are, for example, being encouraged to build more partnerships with other churches and with community organizations uh, so that we can uh, find a synergistic way to meet needs in our community. The annual conference is not something that just happens afar off. 
It is something that affects every single United Methodist Church in the conference. So, Paul, thank you for representing us and for your report. Let us go to God in prayer. Loving and eternal God, we give you thanks this day for gathering us, for equipping us as a congregation, for enabling us to share your love in Martinsville and beyond. We pray this day for those in our community of faith who are at home recovering and those who are anticipating surgery. We pray for George and Martha and Sarah. We pray for Jake as he continues with his treatment. We pray for Jill as she seeks to be his primary support. And we thank you for the ability to love and surround all of these people with our prayers and with our love. We see the list of prayer concerns in our bulletin, and we have prayer concerns that are unspoken in our hearts, but we lift all of those to you. You enable us when we are in crisis to focus not on the problem, but the problem solver. And we are so grateful for your presence and activity in our lives. We pray for the people of Surfside and their grief and all the first responders. And we thank you for all everywhere who are in ministry sharing your love in the world. Lord, we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and lead us not into and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Will you stand and affirm your faith with the Apostles' Creed? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come again to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. Will the ushers please come forward? Let us pray. Loving and eternal God, you have called us this morning you have called us this morning to open our eyes. You have called us this morning to see human need. You have called us this morning to see how we have been equipped to respond. And you have called us indeed to do just that. Help us to use the gifts that we have been given to address the need that we see. And be with us as we seek to be bold in sharing your love in the world. In Christ's name we pray, amen.
Our closing hymn is Standing on the Promises, found in your hymnals on page 374. As we prepare to go forth, I wanted to share that we will begin our early service again on August 1st. We are moving the time forward to 8.30 and invite you to come and to bring friends. I also want to say that if Jim Hewitt is watching us on live stream, happy birthday, Jim. Thank you for the ways that you have blessed every congregation and every pastor of whose life you have been a part. God bless you. And now may you go forth in peace. May you go forth to love and to serve God in all that you do. And may you, among the lost and the least, realize that you are serving Jesus in distressing disguise. Amen. Please be seated for the postlude. <clears throat> 